Welcome back to another episode of Psychocinematic. Today we are covering a witch movie called Suspiria. There are two versions of this film, an original from 1977 and a remake from 2018. And I watched both of them, so I'm gonna talk about both of them. And as always, spoilers ahead. So when I set out to watch Suspiria, it was only because I was on Amazon just looking for something new to watch. And then I found the remake of Suspiria. And I saw that Mia Goth was in it and I had just gotten done watching X and Per Pearl, and I was like, oh, this has got to be really weird and probably pretty good. But before I watched it, I decided to do a quick Google search and I saw that there was an original from 1977. And I was like, okay. I'm gonna watch the original before I have another Goodnight Mommy situation where I watch the remake thinking I'm watching the original and just having no clue what's going on and then people are telling me, you need to watch the remake. So not making that mistake. So I go and find the 1977 version, watch that, and then I watch the 2018. And much like Goodnight Mommy, Amazon Studios was the studio that did the remake. I don't know what's up with Amazon spearheading remakes for original horror films, but whatever. So I believe that both of these films are good in their own way, and I think that they are both different enough from each other that you can watch both of them and have a completely different experience while watching them. I actually think that that is the way to go if you're going to do a remake is make it your own a little bit. Don't just do a shot-for-shot -shot remake. And I read that the original film director, Dario Argento, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, said something to the effect of, if you do everything that was in the original in your remake, then it's just a copy at that point. And if you start switching things up, why not just do something completely original? I get what he's saying, but I feel like that this is probably the best way that you could remake a film. So without a doubt, the cinematography in the original film is spectacular. I haven't seen anything like this. The closest thing that I could compare it to is probably Yorgos Lanthimos, who if you don't know who that is, he's the one who did The Lobster, Poor Things, Killing of a Sacred Deer, and so on. It's hard to watch this film and not be captivated by Argento's bold use of color. I'd say typically filmmakers rely on natural colors and strategic lighting sets and wardrobe to then create some cinematic contrast that's pleasing to the eye. Suspiria 1977, however, uses extremely saturated colors to make it feel like you are watching a stylized painting come to life. And it's not just colors with lighting, but also with the sets. The colors always seemed intentional as well. For example, when Susie passed out while she was dancing and has that brain hemorrhage, I believe they said. She's in bed and the doctor's checking on her and there is green light being cast in there, you know, to symbolize sickness. This scene felt like a tip of the hat to The Exorcist, which came out a few years prior and also felt like a little bit of foreshadowing of the revelation to come. And before I forget to say this, the scene also felt like a tip of the hat to Rosemary's Baby for two different reasons. One, the doctor checking on her, so I'm thinking of Dr. Saperstein. If you have read or watched Rosemary's Baby, if you haven't, highly recommend it because it's probably my second favorite movie about witches right behind Hereditary. And then the other part of the scene that's kind of tipping the hat to Rosemary's Baby is the fact that she is on a set diet and a weird one at that where they're making her drink wine in Rosemary's Baby, she's basically given this drink with tannis root every day. Another scene they used light incredibly was the scene where Sarah is trying to escape a room from the people who are pursuing her and up against the wall is light that is shaped in a rat-like top-down labyrinth looking 
fashion where it goes from the ground over to crates that she would need to move over to a window and then up to a window. And then the window coincidentally, but probably not coincidence at all, just has a cross shaped paneling. And it's almost like this is going to be her salvation, but then she ends up falling into a room full of barbed wire. There was one scene in particular that made me feel like this was a Yorgos Lanthimos type of style, and it just completely melted my brain. There is a hypnotic pattern like wallpaper in the background of one of the sets. It's like black and white, and the camera movement adds to this effect that makes it look super trippy. It's just kind of dollying off to the side, but it looks like there's just this warp on the wall behind the characters. And they're also often using wide angle lenses that have distortion on the sides that create a really trippy effect. Something the original film nails really well is the score. Even for as goofy as it is to, by the end of it, realize that they're just saying, which, 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 <laughs> with the music that's going on. Because in the beginning, you can't really make out what's happening. But as it becomes more confirmed throughout the movie, it seems to get more prominent. And it kind of reminds me of like Jason Voorhees, like, and, and also it kind of sounds like Freddy Krueger a little bit to me. And I think this movie is uh, older than Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, it's definitely older than Friday the 13th. But the score was fantastic. I constantly felt like I was on edge and I was uneasy. And this film even made me jump. And normally films of this age don't really make me jump just because I think that the, uh, the strategies to convey a jump scare or anything like that, they've just changed a little bit. And not that me jumping is really a great metric of what horror is, I don't think it is, but I was impressed. I also thought the end of this film was great with their use of practical effects, throwing furniture, and ripping wallpaper, etc. While that scene was happening, I leaned over to my wife and I was just like, this set looks incredibly dangerous to be on because obviously things can and have gone wrong on sets and just things are getting flown around, things are falling from the ceiling. It looked legitimately dangerous. I felt that this film had a decent amount of symbolism in it as well. One scene, for example, is when Susie and Sarah are swimming in the pool and the camera is looking over a hand railing that has a trident on it. And of course it's a pool, so trident, Poseidon, but also tridents look a lot like the devil's pitchfork. So. I thought that was cool. Also at the very end of this film, when Susie escapes the dance school, it's pouring rain and she's smiling out in the rain. And this feels like a sign of rebirth and baptism. Like she was cleansed of all of the evil that was in that school. And now she can carry on anew. And then I already mentioned that cross paneling window that Sarah crawls through into the barbed wire. And you know what's funny about that scene? In the last week, I have seen in two different movies from the 70s, basically events happening in these movies that do things that happen in the Saw franchise, but obviously way before Saw ever did it. And this one with her falling in through the window into the barbed wire, that is one of the Saw games in one of the films where a dude has to get through 
all of this barbed wire to a key and of course he cuts himself to death. And then the other one was from Mad Max. I was re-watching that film and at the very end of it, spoilers if you haven't seen Mad Max from 1979, he handcuffs someone to a vehicle that's draining its fuel out and it's about to light on fire and then he gives a person a hacksaw and is like, yeah, you could probably get out if you're lucky and you saw off your limb and then he leaves. And of course he just leaves him to his fiery fate, which that whole thing sawing off one of your limbs is like half the reason the Saw franchise is called Saw. I just thought that was funny. Something I didn't like about the original film was that it wasn't until about an hour in that I even know where this film is going. So aside from the cinematography and the score, I'm watching this like, what are we doing? The 2018 remake directed by Luca Guadagnino, I hope I'm saying that correctly. However, it was on the complete opposite side of the spectrum where in the very first scene, they mentioned that the school's full of witches. <laughs> and that's like the complete opposite of the original film. And I would have loved to have something more in the middle between these films where it's like 30 to 45 minutes of guessing and kind of building the intrigue, the suspense, the mystery, and then you start to reveal, oh my God, it's witches, holy shit. That's what I would have loved. So I sang the praises of the cinematography in the 1977 version and the cinematography in the 2018 version is obviously great. I mean, it, it looks fantastic, but it's a lot closer to what we normally see in everyday films. So I probably won't be talking about it as much just because it's not the most unique thing I've ever seen, though it still looks beautiful. So in the first 15 to 20 minutes of watching the remake, I noted down that a lot of these scenes run 50% too long, which definitely adds up to this two and a half hour runtime that I felt was completely unnecessary. Don't get me wrong though, I think this film had a lot to like. For one, I like that this film actually had a lot of dancing and I can't mention the dancing without talking about that crazy dance death scene with Olga. That was fucking disgusting and just so shocking, but really brilliantly done. I like that this film really made it feel like it's in the middle of the Cold War and you are in Berlin. In the first one, I didn't even think about the Cold War really and, you know, kind of forgot that they were in Berlin. I also really like the colored spirit in the remake, especially when it's moving down the dark hall and it's illuminating what's around it. That was super cool. One piece of foreshadowing that I really liked in this film was when Susie gets to the dance school pretty early on, she's standing in front of this blackboard with words behind her and you can see either eater or heater written behind her and you know witches and satanic stuff they're all about their anagrams so if you change heater around you can do eat her which is basically what's going to be happening because helena marcos basically wants to consume and pilot the vessel that is susie the remake also revealed a lot more about susie's life and they revealed that she grew up in a mennonite or an amish household that was kind of oppressive on her and it seems like her mom really didn't like her and maybe it's because her mom knew that she was basically this freaking demon this mother suspiriorum who knows but i felt like this film didn't fully explain how susie came to become mother suspiriorum and so i guess i'm left to assume that she's always been her kind of like reborn to go and take out helena marcos who's basically like this 
false prophet who's being worshipped like she's Mother Suspiriorum and not just another witch that's leading a coven. So something that I thought was really funny, even though Helena Marcos was disgusting looking, and I mean, they did a great job at making her just look vile. She looks so much like one of the old lady fish, I'm going to put it on the screen, from Spongebob. As soon as I saw her, I was like, oh my god, there she is, the live action version. <laughs> Alright, and now to end it with a couple of things that I found interesting when I was researching these films. One, Unk or Anka, I can't remember how they said her name. Uh, in the remake, that is actually the actress who plays Susie in the original. Second, the original film director of Suspiria actually made Suspiria as the first of a trilogy. Each film covers one of those witch mothers, and they're pretty well staggered. The first coming out, you know, in 77, and the last one came out in like 2006. Those other two films are called Inferno and Mother of Tears. Honestly, I probably won't be watching those anytime time soon because after watching these two films so closely together and then writing a whole movie essay between the two films for this podcast, I just, uh, I'm suspiriated out. But if you watch it or if you've seen it, let me know how you liked it down in the comments. Now, lastly, this is like the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. And it's, it's so actor. It's just, I, I get that you're having fun, but I'm just like, so Tilda Swinton is not just playing Madame Blanc. Apparently she and the director thought, you know, this is a mostly female cast, so it only makes sense that the doctor figure would be played by a woman as well. Yes, Dr. Klemperer, the old German psychologist or therapist, whatever he's classified as, is actually Tilda Swinton in a lot of makeup and occasionally having a fake penis. Which that alone is not really that strange. They, they, could, they could do that no problem. But they made up a fake actor to play the doctor. So most of the actors and crew didn't even know that that was her playing him. Even the trailer has that fake actor's name in it. And then they were thinking, you know, when we go to this premiere, maybe we should just say that he passed away and that's why he's not here. But then that that's where they drew the line. And it's just like, what? Apparently it wasn't until a New York Times interview where basically people had been asking the wrong question this entire time saying, did you play Dr. Klemperer? And she says, no. They said, did you play the actor Lutz Ebersdorf? And she's like, oh yeah, unequivocally, yes, that, that was me playing the actor who played him. And it's like, ah, oh, come on, stop with the charades, you're driving me nuts. <laughs> Anywho, if you've seen either or both of these Suspiria films, please let me know down in the comments what you thought about the films, maybe which one you liked more. And that is all I have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you in the next one.